0: Welcome to The Wondering Mind, a podcast where we have candid conversations in hopes to break mental health stigmas and normalize speaking up about our mental health. Through this podcast, we will connect you to a diverse range of folks from all around the world who have struggled with their mental health but have learned to weather through the storm. By listening to their stories, you may begin to feel empowered, less alone. And you may discover new ways that will help you navigate through your own mental health struggles. So sit back, relax, and remember, everyone's story matters. Podcast? Today, I am joined by Jennifer Tarm, and she is with Asian Mental Health Project, and I am super excited to have her with me today. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you again for inviting me onto the show. Um, I'm very excited to have our conversation about mental health, um, and especially mental health regarding the Pan-Asian community and communities of color. So just thank you again for inviting me.
0: Absolutely. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk about this too, because I think it's very important that this show is all inclusive and that we cover all of our bases when it comes to the diverse world that we live in. And so I think it's really important that I help get the message out about your organization, even though it's fairly large in itself and incredible and doing very well. <laughs> But I want thank my you. listeners to know about it. They need to know. <laughs> oh, thank you. Susan, oh, no, really, it really does mean a lot, um,
1: you know, in terms of the organization, um, anyone who does follow us, whether it's through Instagram, whether it's through our website or, you know, even contacting, you know, team members, um, it really does mean a lot because, you know, this organization is really community built and community led.
0: So let's talk about that. Let's talk about what Asian Mount Mel- Mental Health Project is. So, how did this get started? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, so, Asian Mount Mental Health Project was started about probably in like 2018. Yeah, 2018 um, by our founder um, Carrie. And how the organization started is that basically it's kind of like a a development uh, rooted within her own mental health journey, especially within her young adult years into her college years and one of the you know obstacles and barriers that she really came across when you know seeking mental health services, um, seeking support is a couple of things and this is also very common within the Asian community um, and Asian culture as well but kind of like the lack of resources um, as well as the stigma. yeah the stigma is really really huge in the Asian community. Mental health, not really talked about. when it comes to physical health, you know, when it comes to like symptoms, those are very visible. Um, it's very easy to see when someone is ill, right? Like when you have the flu or when you're coughing or when you're sneezing um, or even an injury. But when it comes to mental health, you know, it, it can be invisible um, a lot of the times. And so, you know, a lot of the cultural views of it, you know, it can be hard to really, I guess, like legitimize uh, mental health as being an illness and, you know, people really struggling uh, with just mental health and wellness as well. And so, so really, you know, with that, you know, she really wanted to create an organization where the organization can tackle that, right? To really to destigmatize uh, mental health within the Asian community, as well as creating resources that are accessible. And our mission statement basically, you know, describes really educating and empowering the Pan Asian community um, to access mental health resources. So Asian Mental Health Project, again, like I mentioned before, we're really community built, um, really community led, and you know, it went from Carrie being the founder to now being a team of six phenomenal women, which is just absolutely incredible. But even so, more importantly, though, um, we really couldn't really thrive um, unless we've had the help of our community. So that why we have a lot of volunteers. And I'll, t- I'll talk a little bit more about our volunteers in a little bit. But just kind of going into more of what we do with the project. Um, So we focus on a couple of things. We focus on educational programming, we focus on community events, and we focus on partnerships as well. So in terms of the educational programming piece, we operate primarily on Instagram. So for those who do not follow us yet, um, so plug in right now. So um, at Asian Mental Health Project, and we primarily operate from there. And so we you know, We take topics within the mental health wellness space and we make it digestible, right? Sometimes when it comes to mental health education, sometimes there can be this like psychological jargon, mental health jargon, and that already like the language can be a barrier in itself. Um, so really making the language easy to understand. Sometimes mental health can be an intimidating topic as well. So making it something where we highlight that it is really important, And it doesn't have to be this scary thing, especially since, again, that community piece, right? Like, we want to be in community with each other. We want to be in support of each other. And then in terms of the programming piece, you know, we really try our best to to be able to put out um, events that are free or low cost to the community. So. One of our primary events that, you know, we are very, very proud of, I mean, it actually started during the pandemic because of the isolation that a lot of people have been feeling is our weekly stay and check-ins, also known as SICI or S-I-C-I. And so they are a weekly Wednesday event. And basically it's a combination of a listening empowerment circle slash kind of like a workshop in a way. So it's an hour and a half event in, in the pure uh, listening circle really folks from the community come to this space just to be listened to and to be heard. You know, I I think sometimes when, uh, you know, you share a story about kind of like what you're going through and what your challenges are, you know, sometimes people are met with uh, like advice giving, right? Or like trying to solve, you know, the problem to make the person feel better right away, right? But really what's so special about this listening circle is that people come in just, again, just to be listened to, to be validated, to be seen we don't really give advice, you know, we'll do like reflections here and there, but it, again, it's just to really be with each other um, and to also sit, you know, with sometimes the pain and sometimes the suffering that we're going through, which is actually very powerful, um, especially as a, as a collective. And then after the listening circle, we, we go into like this workshop piece where we have a guest facilitator and the guest facilitator can be, you know, a mental health connect- clinician, someone who's like a mental health advocate or just someone in the wellness space, right? Because when it comes to wellness, it's more than mental health. If you kind of think about like the different dimensions of wellness, we got spiritual, we got financial, we got physical, we got all these different dimensions. So it, it's really cool um, just the array of, you know, guest teachers that come in to really share their wisdom. The goal is for participants to really take away something, you know, take away something tangible that they can apply to their lives. And again, it doesn't have to be hard. You know, it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to cost a lot, which is wonderful. And then we do other, you know, events such as our Survivor Support Summit. Um, we just did it last year. Survivor Support Summit. Um, we really focus on really being able to provide education, advocacy um, when it comes to supporting those who have experienced, you know, sexual violence or gender and power-based harm. We also, you know, have great panels that we put on as well and then we just partner with really great organizations which is super awesome and to like really build community um, with each other so that's just a little bit about Asian Mental Health Project in terms of how I got involved so actually during 2019 either 2019 2020 2020. Yeah. is when I, I know I'm just trying to keep track of time. Um, when I graduated, actually the very first annual Survivor Support Summit was being held. So I was working in a department at my university that I was a part of for my graduate program, specifically working for, uh, so working with those who are survivors. That was how me and Carrie got connected, because I had this knowledge base. um, And, you know, I was able to speak about just some of the topics within prevention. And so, you know, at first, I was supposed to be on a panel. That didn't happen. The panel ended up, or me being on the panel ended up turning out to be me basically being like a co-lead for this event (laughs) Um, and so that's kind of how it started because I you know I was connected to other folks Mm -hmm. and other organizations so it was just um, it was just really easy to be able to you know invite people to speak about you know their knowledge that they had or their wisdom that they wanted to share with the community and so after the survivor support summit I guess Carrie saw something in me and was like, do you want to join our team? And I was like, oh my gosh, sure. Um, <laughs> so it was definitely very unexpected. And and I've always heard about Asian Mental Health Project. I mean, I've always loved the work that that they did. So to be invited, I thought it was felt really humbled. Yeah, that's just a little bit of Asian Mental Health Project and a little bit of my journey <laughs> to how I got here.
0: <laughs> Well, it's incredible. And I love everything that this organization entails is everything that this world needs more of, which is community and providing these services and these resources to folks for low cost or free, because like you said, and I love that you brought up the fact that mental health and mental wellness is so many different, it has so many different facets, Mm -hmm. so many different layers. And that includes financial and a lot of people struggle with money. And so the fact that you all are volunteer based, typically like a lot of this Mm -hmm. work is done by volunteers. Mm -hmm. People are willing to put in the time and the effort to make this organization what it is. And then people are willing to partake and engage and utilize what you have to offer. I think it's just so, so incredible. So when you went to this conference It sounds like you were still in school. So let's kind of dive into that just a little bit, because I want to get to learn a little bit more about your background. So what did you go to school for? Yeah, um,
1: of course. Um, So I went to graduate school to go get my master's. And then my master's was in marriage and family therapy. So that was kind of the start um, of, I guess, like my, I guess, like official journey, like educationally, occupationally wise. (laughs) But I've always known that I've wanted to go in the mental health and counseling field. This was kind of like a, kind of like a shift in career because actually before um, I was pursuing pharmaceutical sciences to, what? yeah, yeah, <laughs> wow. yeah, um, yep. And, uh, you know, a lot of cultural influences on that because, you know, my parents, you know, they, you know, wanted me to be in a field or in a job slash role, um, that was reputationable slash AKA can provide financial stability. Right. And I it makes a lot of sense. And so even though they wanted me to be a doctor, I'm like, oh, med school, mm, I don't know about that, you know, <laughs> but I, there was this uh, eldest daughter kind of guilt where I'm like, oh, like, okay, well, you know, I, I just don't want to disappoint them. So let me just kind of meet them halfway. And let me just become a pharmacist because my naive mind back in the day, you know, thought that pursuing pharmacy was going to be a lot easier than going to med school. But yeah, again, very naive <laughs> to, to think back then. Um, and, you know, shout out to all the pharmacists who, you know, go through all the training and, you know, who are in the medical system uh, and also helping everyone as we're going through COVID. But, you know, again, that that wasn't for me, though. When I, you know, decided to pursue marriage and family therapy, you know, what really gravitated me towards the field um, was the relational and the systemic and the cultural emphasis and also for my program there was a social justice orientation framework particularly for my program and particularly within Los Angeles so for all those listening you feel free to narrow that down Um, (laughs) and and so yeah and so you know for me it you know I, I really wanted to you know work from that relational lens and you can't get any more relational than family right like family and marriages that was where I went you know now that I'm in a different part of my journey ironically though even though I you know had an MFT what was strange is that I still could never really really claim that identity for myself to be Mm -hmm. a marriage and family therapist yeah um, I I couldn't really see myself as an MFT. and I, I don't know why, and and so it you know it took a couple of you know months and just really soul searching to really understand you know why. But I, I felt like it was kind of ironic being an MFT because a lot of my work didn't necessarily resonate with the MFT role. Um, of course, MFTs can see all types of clients, but I think just with the label itself, um, I think there's a lot of you know clear assumptions that I work with. Couples, and I work with families, but I work with uh, with some families here and there. Um, especially when you work with children, you automatically work with the family. But a lot of the times, I worked with young adults. I worked with young adults. I worked with students, first generation um, slash second generation survivors. And so, a lot of the work that I did didn't necessarily resonate with the MFT role. And so, that's when I decided to you know now pursue a doctorate role, pursuing counseling psychology. So. I feel like I went off on a little tangent, but hopefully that <laughs> <No>. kind of answered, <laughs> answered your question.
0: <laughs> totally answered it. Absolutely. So I want to know, like, what is your personal connection to mental health? Because obviously everyone struggles to some degree, but mm-hmm. why were you so drawn to this field at large?
1: I mean, a lot of it is is really cultural for me. And so a lot of the reasons why, you know, that um, you know, how Asian Mental Health Project was founded was, you know, based on like the stigma, right? Mm-hmm. The stigma and the lack of resources. And so that was a lot of my experience. Home for me is back in Orange County, and I had no clue what any, you know, mental health services were out there. No one really talked about mental health. Closest thing to, I guess, uh, therapy was counseling, but counseling was more for academic purposes. Yeah, me and academic counseling, we just never really vied with each other, (laughs) um, which was, you know, why that that was actually one of the pivotal points in my career, which is why I decided to take a leap of faith into the mental health field, you know, to go to my master's program was because I did not have a good experience with my academic advisor, there was a time back then, again, when I was a pharmaceutical sciences major, and I was basically on the verge of flunking, and not just flunking out of my program, but it got to the point where, like, I would have been kicked out of the university. And for me, as an Asian, Asian American, there was that fear of like, Oh, my gosh, failure. Oh, my gosh, being kicked out of the university, this cannot happen. This is just, this is not real. And so what I didn't like about the way that I was being treated back then was I felt like a lot of me being treated as charm harm the student and not charm harm the person. And I think this is, you know, a lot of the pressures that a lot of academic advisors face is like the institutional barrier, right? Like students have to pass, students have to make the university look good, right? Like whether it's for funding, whether it's for budgeting, whatever, whatever. But I think you know, what the cost of that is, that I didn't feel like I was being treated like a human being and not being taken into consideration of, Hey, like maybe these are, there are these other factors and there's all these other life pieces that influence my academic performance. It's like, Ooh, like, like a wild thought for them to, <laughs> I guess, like to even have, Consider, Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, and to really work with me through my purpose. And, you know, back during my undergrad, this is the perfect time for identity development and really finding yourself and I didn't think that you know the academic counseling that I had was really um, promoting that I still felt like I had to like find things on my own again like right like finding mental health resources having to find things on my own but a lot of the cultural aspects in terms of like my career was kind of what really started it so again you know in terms of you know what do I want to do with my career and It's different from what my parent wants. How do I navigate being the oldest daughter within my family, you know, and also talk about intergenerational trauma, you know, my, my parents, they immigrated into the U S after the Vietnam war. And so there's a lot of that, you know, that also gets trickled down into who, where I am today and also our family dynamics and also how I function as well you know, in terms of that. So that's like one layer, the cultural aspect of that at the same time. And also another big piece that is just very, very important to me is that sense of belonging and that like that sense of community. I've always felt for for a while that, I don't know, it, it's something weird about me that I'm always a conscious in terms of like, wh- where do I belong? Like wh- where do I fit in? Because I want to belong. I want to fit in. I want people like me. Having to work, through that through my own Asian American identity, which I'm honestly still working through. And it's hard, right? Because it's like when I'm talking about community and like belonging, it's like there are moments where I feel like I don't feel Asian enough. And there are moments where I don't feel American enough. So I'm like in this like in-between space. Sometimes it can feel uncomfortable, right? In this like space where there's two dichotomy and like you don't fit in either or so like having to work through you know really trying to find my place in the world and and, and where I feel like accepted and then a the third piece is also anxiety yeah
0: you know, <laughs> I feel like like anxiety, <laughs> anxiety. <laughs> right like, you don't relate to that
1: <laughs> it's like oh like who's experiencing anxiety who understands and we're like oh, we're all guilty
0: <laughs> yeah
1: and so just, um, you know, being able to just work through just like daily life anxieties, right? And especially as a young adult, as a young professional, just being an adult is hard. And Ugh. sometimes I wonder like, like who let me be in charge of my life?
0: What? <laughs> <laughs> who let me sign up for this? <laughs> no, <Yes. laughs> I want to return this.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so that was just a lot of, um, yeah, just some of the pieces in terms of like my own. Uh, my own mental health um, journey.
0: I'm really curious to kind of just chat a a few minutes more about feeling torn between your two identities. Because again, I I honestly think actually a lot of folks can relate to that as well. And I think a lot of folks are shy or embarrassed or scared to mention Mm -hmm. that that's something that they're struggling with especially if they have maybe two separate friend groups or mostly white Mm -hmm. friends or friends who can't identify, you know, identify or relate. So you said you're still kind of working through that. And I'm sure that's going to be kind of something you'll work through for a while. So what are you kind Mm -hmm. of doing now to navigate through that, to maintain your mental health and keep it at a good, in a good place?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think, One of the biggest things is therapy. I know I I did therapy for the first time uh, when I was in graduate school. And I've never had uh, therapy or counseling before. And also, I one, because I didn't know where to go and how Mm -hmm. to go through the process. But also, I was still on my parents' health insurance as well. And so kind of like the thought, because then they're going to get the bills back. And so then they're, yes, So which is another barrier that a lot of young folks kind of are a little bit hesitant about, you know, seeking services, especially if they're under their parents' health insurance, because then they're going to know. And so during then I, you know, I didn't want my parents to know, and nor would they have to understand. And I didn't want to have to necessarily go through that explaining process, you know, back then. But as soon as I, you know, when I went to graduate school, you have to have health insurance. And so again, you know, I feel very fortunate and there is a sense of privilege to be able to have my own health insurance. And one of the, you know, one of the things that I got out of it is feeling comfortable to be able to find my own therapist and not have to worry about, are my parents going to find out or, you know, are they going to question us, you know, why am I seeing someone for my mental health? And I know when I try to speak with them about like mental health, especially being a professional in the field, it's still a concept that is kind of hard to even put into um, Chinese language or like. Vietnamese language. So Mm -hmm. it's still, it's still like a topic that's a little bit hard to even put in words. (laughs) So, yes, so therapy was a really big part in terms of really working through my identity piece. And what was really helpful was because I had another Asian therapist, phenomenal psychologist. And it's nice, you know, being able to have the access to have someone like her help me because she understands, you know, when it comes to like certain cultural nuances, that's the thing, it's like the nuances of my identity of being Asian, my identity of being Asian American is something that I didn't necessarily have to explain. Mm -hmm. I I didn't have to like kind of spell it out for her. Um, She just understood. And again, I think just being able to really facilitate a dialogue with her and to be able to share the thoughts I've always been scared about sharing or what if someone else heard me would they shame me you know like would they judge me and especially within the API slash API community there's there's that shame and you know that that kind of goes hand in hand with the stigma piece and so I know that was something that I you know I was afraid of yeah so being able to really talk it through with my therapist and you know she really helped me challenge my ideas in terms of like why is it so important for me to like belong like to find some place that is like so definitive Hmm. to like belong somewhere you know we came to the conclusion that I just I would feel threatened um you know when I don't have a place or somebody or something that I can be like connected to or feel like really similar with again like in terms of the Asian, the Asian side of me, right? Um, you know, there are just some pieces where it's a little bit hard for me to resonate with the Asian identity. I mean, especially, you know, kind of, I forgot what the actual language or what the terminology is, but being like a language broker, at least like for my parents. So having to being able to like translate for them, right? So like having to be in these like two different worlds, you know, was was just really hard for me growing up. There were times as being Asian, it, I just didn't have the language all the time, especially as I got older, actually a lot of uh, my Chinese actually got worse. And so sometimes, <laughs> yeah, you know, especially when you go to English school or you have to speak right. English yeah. in school. And so I feel like that kind of pulled me away a little bit more from my culture because it became a little bit more harder for me to communicate with my relatives like who really you know they didn't either um, like English wasn't their first language or they just never really understood English or the and they didn't want to learn English um, which is totally understandable mm-hmm. so you know in terms of the language piece it was a little hard for me to like stay connected to that as well and then kind of going to the American piece I mean I look Asian so you know sometimes it would be it can be hard for me to fit in American spaces you know and again I think American can be defined in many ways um, but I know how I see an American is a white person so between me and a white person like I don't look like a white person um, but of course within the context of the world when I think about colorism I do understand that I also have the privilege of being light skinned mm-hmm. you know so there's all these like nuances especially when it comes to understanding like the cultural and the like systemic aspect of things and so a lot of you know again a lot of the work in you know my therapy and understanding my own identity is having to be so conscious and always like being reflective of my social positioning in the world my power and uh and my privileges as well so yeah it could definitely be a lot to think about but you know I know that it is so important that I understand again like my social identities and how that impacts you know my relationship with other people how, how i you know interact with clients because that will show up in the room uh, there there is you know like an impact um to that so but again a lot of understanding who i am has been a big part of feeling more integrated because I I was lacking that integration you know I wanted to fit in in all these pieces I I wanted to um, just again find somewhere so definitive I wanted to belong but a lot of this again these are just like so separated and I needed to just kind of bring everything together you know and as me as a a whole person I think it also just gets better I think as you get older and you kind of don't really give a fuck anymore (laughs) um
0: yes (laughs) Oh, amen to that. Amen to that. (laughs) It's so true. For so much of our adolescence, we struggle and we work so hard to fit into these molds and these stereotypes and to be accepted and Mm -hmm. whatever it may be, just to fit into this social culture that we've built. And And it really doesn't fucking matter. Like if you find a core Mm -hmm. group of people, (laughs) like if you find a core group of people that you can relate to on many different levels, that's what's important. doesn't matter if, you know, Mm -hmm. they're whomever. It just matters that you can find that community in some shape or form. And it does, I mean, being able to stay rooted in your culture is obviously important, but it's not all that it has to be. That doesn't have to be your only identity. You know, you can be whatever you want to be with whomever. So it's not easy doing Mm -hmm. the work that you're doing and going to therapy and working through all this trauma and working through all of these puzzle pieces and these Mm -hmm. stereotypes and these boxes. It's really fucking hard to do that. So I commend you for even breaking that one stereotype and that stigma of going to therapy Mm -hmm. and just saying, fuck it. Like, I'm this for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's
1: scary um, to do something for myself and thinking about, and again, you know, like I mentioned earlier, my parents, they immigrated into this country. And so, you know, with that, there's again, like the American dream aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Right. And a lot, a lot of their lives, like they, they understood my parents and, you know, my family members, relatives, ancestors, they, they knew what their role was you know, and they've had to go through war, they've had to go through poverty, they have to go through discrimination, everything that you can name under the sun. And for them to come into America, you know, they wanted me to have a better life. You know, one of the big generational differences, I think that's the word I'm looking for, one of the big generational differences between my family members and I is that, you know, I have the privilege and access to Have choice and to be able to live the life and to be able to create the life that I want to live. Um, and again, I, you know, I attribute everything to my lineage, you know, for being able to allow me to have this amazing freaking life that I have. And yeah, just so grateful because again, like I you know I haven't needed to have gone through war you know I didn't need to go in a boat and you know hide myself so I didn't get killed and do across the sea and there's a lot of danger involved you know I have to go through that but again there are you know the generational differences that can you know kind of be challenging and again one of them is what life do I want to create and it's super existential when like you don't have something that is like decided for you, right? Like you have so many options, and so you know that again, like anxiety—it's um, a lot of my existential crisis. My anxiety um, was <laughs> was having to make choice and to to have choices and to make decisions, and
0: it's gonna fall on
1: me on whatever decision that I'm gonna make.
0: Honestly, I think even if you hit hurdles, which we all do, I think just Mm -hmm. the fact that you're able to make your own decisions at this point and you don't have to have that weight, that extra pressure anymore from your your family on the life that you should live versus the life that you want to live, those choices are all on you. And that's a good thing because Mm -hmm. you should trust yourself in the decisions that you make. And it sounds like you sure as hell do. And so it's just it's almost like a freedom of being away from yeah. that kind of, you know, yeah, toxicity, um, yeah. So, I mean, we all have to face those hurdles of the choices that we make. But I feel like I'm doing that right now with with the podcast mm-hmm. and with all these entrepreneurial things. You know, it's yeah. my parents, mind you, it's nothing quite like your situation at all. But they still had that that idea that stereotypical you graduate college you know you get a job there was no Mm -hmm. well you have all these choices yeah it was like this 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 Mm -hmm. so the fact that now at 33 I'm like hey (laughs) yeah I'm not gonna do that anymore (laughs) like yeah I want to break away from that traditional style it's scary but man there's a freedom in it for sure
1: yeah. And I also want to put like, kind of like a little like disclaimer in a way. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a role or having a certain lifestyle, maybe like be assigned to you whatsoever, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's like the really big differences, you know, between, you know, Western culture slash Eurocentric, you know, values, you know, versus collectivistic cultures. There have been just so many types, so many communities centuries in which the you know in terms of collectivistic cultures, you know people understood kind of where their life was going and that's okay, you know um, I just know for me again, I think that it can be weird sometimes being that Asian American piece right like where technically there is still, a certain pathway that is supposed to be made to be paved for me, but also being an American and having all these access and privileges to choices, there's also that at the same time. Um, so, it, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's really a matter of, you know, what it's, it's just depending um, person on person, by person. And I know mm-hmm. for me, you know, I, I wanted to pave my own path, you know, but again, for those, if there is a path that is paved for you already, and you want to continue following that, that's totally okay.
0: So Just a little little disclaimer on that. Excellent disclaimer. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds like everything's kind of done a whole 360. So, you know, your journey with mental health and then getting into the field itself and now going to get your doctorate while still working for Asian Mental Health Project, it's just this beautiful blooming flower. And I love it. And I'm so glad that. I found you all on Instagram. I've been following you all for, a, I think it's been like over a year now. It's been a while. Aww, um, thank you. And I love the work that you all are doing. I think it's absolutely phenomenal. So, again, if folks want to follow you and the Asian Mental Health Project, where can they find you? Where's the best way to contact y'all?
1: Yeah. So, in terms of Asian Mental Health Project, again, we primarily operate uh, via Instagram. So it's at Asian Mental Health Project. You can also go to our website as well. Um, so Asian Mental Health Project.com. Um, on our Instagram, it uh, there's also going to be like a link tree and it will show different resources that we have, as well as going to our website as well. And then, in terms of, I guess, specifically for me, um, I have a personal page, um, but I'm not gonna share that just because I like to keep that kind of I'm private. So. But I know um, for me, for those who are interested in kind of learning a little bit more about mental health a little bit, it's a little bit more focused towards the graduate school doctorate, school life. Y'all can follow me at SciD. I'm, I'm totally forgetting my name um, on my Instagram name, but um, SciD Days with Tarm. Yeah. It's a little, it's a little, yeah, it's a little play on like, like days and,
0: you know, gonna stop, stop there. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. And I'll share that information in the description box on all the platforms so that folks can click and go and find you. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. This was a remarkable conversation and a very important one that needed to be shared. So thank you for taking the time out of your evening choosing to be vulnerable coming on talking about the organization talking about your own life it was much appreciated thank you so much
1: oh well, no thank you again again for you facilitating this conversation you're, you're really such like a really great facilitator when it comes to uh, you know <laughs> listening to people's narratives so organized um, and <laughs> again for just <laughs> you're like oh I'll take that
0: <laughs> thank you <laughs> um,
1: but but really but also to be able to also, of course, you know, share Asian mental health projects, you know, work in our mission, because we really hope that, you know, people learn about us, and people hear more about us. And it continues to be community led, uh, community driven, so that, again, we are in this, you know, mission to really dismantle the stigma and to make mental health, you know, resources and services more accessible, and just to build community with each other, you know, and it really does mean a lot. And in terms of my personal story, this is kind of the first time that I've ever shared a story like this, this way. So thank you for giving me the space to be able to share. Yeah, no, like, I'm like, like, I'm back to you. You Um, (laughs) That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. And and again, like, sometimes I feel like, um, you know, just, again, maybe it's just like a like therapist thing where you're kind of used to just listening to other people you know I love doing that's my job and I feel fulfilled by that you know but I think in terms of being able to like talk about my story and my narrative you know sometimes I put that on the back burner just because I you know I focus on the person in front of me or like the situation at hand you know so thank you for just you know really giving me the space to just share my narrative
0: it was an absolute honor so I'm glad I was able to do that honestly Thank you so much. Thank you to the listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Wondering Mind podcast. Until next time, maintain your brain and keep on wondering. (laughs) Yeah. Bye, everyone.